And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the Tuesday edition of The Real Investment Show. Of course, it's mega cap earnings day, right? We have Microsoft and Google out this morning. So uh, forgive me if you see me kind of looking off to the left over here while I'm uh, talking to you this morning, but I'm kind of watching for the earnings releases. Um, Spotify came out this morning. Shares are down a week, quarter three guidance. Uh, 3M is up. They boosted their full year guidance. But uh, again, kind of just watching here for some of the major uh, earnings that come in. But again, this is this is really kind of the week. Uh, this week in particular, we're gonna get really into a lot of the big mega cap companies and then really kind of pushing through uh, on that into next week. And I'll pretty much wrap up most of earnings season once we get through next week, but it is a lot of earnings. General Electric out this morning. Uh, stocks up about four and a half percent this morning. Commute, com continued demand for aviation parts. Um, interesting, and this is this is part of something that we've been you know kind of exploring recently. You know, lots of concern here about a recession, but yet really we haven't seen a recession show up uh, just as of yet. And and this has been one of the kind of the conundrums. It's like, well, how can we hike rates this much? How can we do these things and not have a recession? Because these things have we've always had a recession in the past when you've had inverted yield curves and higher rates and these type of things. We haven't had a recession yet. And it's been interesting to watch because take a look at transportation stocks doing very well here. The transportation sector performing well. And if you look at Dow Theory, uh, Dow Theory says that if transportations are outperforming industrials, then basically you have, you're, you're kind of in a bull market. Um, and that's really what's going on right now. Transportation stocks doing well. Material stocks have shown uh, some decent improvement here as of late. And again, when we start taking a look at things like airlines, United Airlines, Delta, traffic flow seems to be okay right now. Demand for aviation parts with General Electric is a good example. That's not the kind of data that you see in a recessionary slowing economy. Um, so is the market missing kind of what's going on? Um, is, is all the indicators that we take a look at that typically talk about a recession, are they just wrong this time entirely? Or is there something else going on that we haven't caught up? Of course, you know, really what we have to come back to is just looking at monetary liquidity because that's what's driving the economy. And, you know, we've got a lot of this liquidity coming in from a lot of spending, a lot of spending bills, right? Uh, the Inflation Reduction Act, the last one, of course, a lot of other things that we've talked about here recently, and of course, going back to 2020, all those spending bills, all that QE still circulating in the system, and that certainly has has delayed, you know, the risk of the onset of a recession, and that's what's also kind of feeding into this bull market rally that we've been having since October is this better outlook. But having said all that, you know, there are certainly things to be concerned about. Right. If you take, a, a, you know, the the ability for liquidity to continue to support economic activity is going to become more challenging. It's just a function that over time, the impact of those liquidity flows will slow unless you have more liquidity put into the markets. In other words, you pass more spending bills or you pass other types of monetary or fiscal policy that injects liquidity. Right now, we don't have that. The Fed is doing quantitative tightening. They're pulling liquidity out of the markets. 
The bills that have been passed, there's nothing new on the horizon in terms of more spending bills that are coming. At least we don't see those just yet. doesn't mean they can't happen, but we haven't seen them just yet. So again, this rally in the market, not surprising because of all that liquidity that's been helping boost economic activity. But again, the, the lag effect may have been just pushed out a lot further because of that massive surge of liquidity that we had previously. We'll see. We'll see what happens here. But right now, there's certainly not a lot of reasons, uh, at least from the market perspective, to be of concern. As we said yesterday, that was the NASDAQ rebalance. A lot of concern by people that the NASDAQ rebalancing was going to cause the, kind of this massive drop-off in, in, the, in, the, in the markets because of having to sell these big mega-cap stocks. It actually didn't do much at all. Uh, markets rallied a bit yesterday. Um, and, and overall, and we just kind of really kind of remain kind of hung up here above the 20-day moving average. Over the last week or so, we haven't made a lot of progress, but mm, we're not really going down either. Uh, markets, uh, as we've been talking about, still you know well deviated here, so that's going to be a problem. We'll get into that here more in a second. Um, one of the things that we need to be thinking about as we kind of look forward into the rest of this year is going to be we're getting back into the presidential election cycle, right? So this is going to be a lot of a lot of positioning. Uh, over the course of the next several months. As we get into October, November, December, and really kicking off in January uh, is going to be the real push for this kind of political positioning. And, and again, this is where we're going to start hearing a lot more about policy, whether it's uh, you know, tax policy or monetary policy or changes to you know, uh, economic policies in, in terms of uh, how we're running the country. This is going to start to uh, weigh on markets. Markets tend to be a little bit more cautious heading into the presidential election cycle because they don't know exactly who's going to win. So again, if, if I agree with one side or, or don't agree with one side, Markets may be a little bit more tentative as we move into and, and into this presidential pre-election cycle. After that, once the markets kind of know what they're going to be dealing with in terms of policy, things tend to start to improve. But we'll be watching this over the next few months because it's going to start picking up. Okay, here's what you need to know before the bell this morning because, again, mega cap earnings are going to be driving the day here this morning. Futures are pointing higher, absolutely. Not surprising, but again, as we've been talking about, markets are very extended here above basically every moving average. Importantly, though, from a bullish perspective, all these moving averages are now sloping higher. Remember that, that the slope of the moving average is what tells you the direction or trend of the markets. And those that are now on all of these, including the 200-day, the 100-day, the, the 50, and the 20, are now sloping higher on those moving averages, telling you that the trend to the market is positive for the time being. However, as we've been talking about, the deviations, we've been going through this for the last several weeks, the deviations from these moving averages are rather extreme, and so you're going to get a correction. Now, I wouldn't expect one until after we get past earnings. Right now, earnings are providing that bid under stocks, and we've been talking about that. Now, interestingly enough, talking about the bid under stocks, stocks that are beating estimates are not being all that well re rewarded, right? Netflix posted good earnings, strong subscriber growth, stock was down. That was just one example, but there's been quite a few like that. And even stocks that are trading higher after beating earnings aren't really trading dramatically higher. We're not seeing those big 20% surges of companies after they beat earnings. Um, so again, that tells you that probably a lot of what is happening in the market has already been priced in by the previous advance of the market. So now, 
It is basically companies meeting expectations of the markets. Markets going, okay, yeah, I was already here ahead of you. And, and now that's why you're not getting a lot of bid. Nonetheless, though, these deviations are unsustainable over time. So you're going to get a correction that probably won't happen until September as we get past uh, summer and, and really kind of August, September. That's where the most likely opportunity here is for a correctional process in the markets that are going to lead to an opportunity to add some equity exposure. And again, there's nothing bearish about this market right now. So we want to use dips to add exposure to portfolios, particularly heading into the end of the year until and unless we began to see that change where the lag effect of all these policies are starting to erode earnings growth. If that, if that occurs, then this will all change. But right now it's bullish, so we need to participate in the market short term. So using dips to add to equity exposure to portfolios is the most logical thing to do for right now. Again, just keeping in mind on what the trend of the market is versus what we expect to happen. We'll deal with that when it occurs. But that's what you need to know before the bell this morning. As we come back from the break, we'll pick up with some of the economic data that is coming in right now. And we are starting to see that. We'll also pick up on earnings this morning as we get more of that data in as well. Don't go away. More of The Real Investment Show coming up right after the break. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the Internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. So welcome back to the show this morning. Um, a couple of things to kind of get into as we, again, we're here in the midst of earnings season and, you know, that's really what's driving markets. Um, you know, importantly, one of the things that we'll want to pay attention to is how these companies are actually beating earnings. And this is something that I've uh, wrote about today. It's on the website, actually, um, at realinvestmentadvice.com. It's a... Uh, talking about beating estimates and how companies continue to manufacture earnings. And this has been one of the conundrums for investors is how, how are these companies manufacturing these earnings that, you know, we have a, a weak economic environment, right? And, and right now, analysts expect that earnings are going to be at all-time highs by the end of 2024. And, and how do we get there? And so what the article kind of goes through is and, and really kind of shows you you know, some of the, the challenges, so to speak, in terms of things that, you know, have, and, and you can kind of understand, you know, you hear some of the, the, the kind of the media, uh, social media complaining about capitalism and how it's not fair and how the rich have all the money and nobody else has, any, has anything and nobody can afford anything. And, and, and some of that is are very true statements. And there's no doubt to that, that there are parts of the economy that are broken by cronyism, but capitalism is not broken. There's a, there's a big difference between cronyism and corporatism versus broken capitalism. Capitalism works. It, it's, you know, what's kind of interesting to me is if you look at TikTok or, you know, YouTube or any of these other social media platforms where people get up here and they complain about capitalism, they have these live debates. Like for instance, on TikTok, they'll have the, somebody will have a, a page and they'll have these live debates over capitalism. Capitalism sucks. Socialism wins. Join me now and, and talk to me. And, and then, of course, while they're having this live debate, 
people are sending them money, right? By, you know, giving them likes or whatever. And they're complaining about capitalism while they're making money from the very benefit of capitalism, right? You've, you've created yourself a platform that people will send you money on. And, you know, so you kind of find it humorous that they're complaining about the very system they're using to make money. And, of course, they know, they, they realize what's going on, but they're just taking advantage of the people that believe, that truly believe capitalism is broken and hasn't taken the opportunity to participate in capitalism. But there's no doubt that things are problematic on the corporatism side, and things have gotten a bit out of hand because of monetary liquidity, physical interventions, you know, all the things that have gone on for the last 20, 30 years. And... This all feeds back into what's happening with earnings. And, you know, so as an example, right now, companies are beating earnings. And, you know, this is not surprising. And as we've talked about before, with this whole idea of millennial earnings season, as companies, as, as Wall Street starts to, they start with estimates, they go, oh, I think companies are going to generate X dollars in earnings. And by the time we actually get to earnings, there's this massive decline in earnings per share that occurs. And I've got a chart that shows you that starting back in 2020, last year in, in 2022, estimates for this quarter, this is this quarter, estimates for this quarter started at $220 a share. They then rose to $231 a share by May of last year. And since May of last year have fallen to $179.86 a share, that's even gone lower. That's even been revised lower since I, since I put this chart together just a couple of weeks ago. But this is how companies are beating earnings. Yes, they're coming in and beating earnings, but had we held the analyst, right? Wall Street's supposed to be the smartest group of people on the planet. Last May, they said that companies were going to generate... $231 a share. Okay, if that's what your estimate was back then, you have to hold that, right? That's what you estimated. That was your guess. We're going to hold you to it. Every company would miss estimates. There wouldn't be one single company that could that could meet or beat estimates. And of course, you know, that would not be good for stock prices, which again, since stock prices are a function of how corporate executives get paid because of stock-based compensation, not surprising that we continually see a very large number of companies every every quarter beating estimates. This is why you always have 70% beat rates across quarters. Every quarter we have a very high number of companies that beat estimates. It's only because we've done this is by lowering estimates over that time frame. Now, here, here's, the, here's the important thing. They took a survey of analysts. And this was a couple of years ago. And they said, okay, what's your job? What is your job? And how are you, you know, how important are these things to your overall compensation? So industry knowledge obviously was very high. That was very important on their list. You're standing in the analyst rating or brokerage community, right? How, how did they rank relative to other analysts? So this is why you always see analysts always kind of in the same ballpark together because they're all trying to beat each other out. Your professional integrity, your, your accessibility and our responsiveness. But who? To whom? Who are you accessible and responsive to? Now think about that for a moment. Your relationship with management of the companies that you follow. So in other words, if I've got to have a relationship 
with a company that I follow and track, I have to probably be responsive to those companies, right? Just think about that. Now, your success at generating underwriting business or trading commissions, very important to their compensation. Your written reports, very important. The profitability of your stock recommendations and the accuracy and timeliness of your earnings forecast are at the bottom of the list. Those are the least important to their overall compensation. There's a second part to this. The second part of this survey went through how important are the following clients to your employer? So these are the analysts. Hedge funds, mutual funds, defined benefit pension plans, insurance firms, endowments and foundations, high net worth individuals, all very important. The least important, retail brokerage clients. So if the effectiveness and accuracy of their estimates are the least important to compensation, and the retail client is the least important in their work. Why do you listen to these people? <laughs> they, they're not working for you. Who are they working for? Let's go back to just talking about executive-based compensation for a second, right? How do executives get compensated? Well, they get compensated through using analysis, to help boost asset prices. This is why you never see a sell rating on a company by a Wall Street brokerage firm. It's very rare. It's always buy or hold. Why? Because if I if I tell everybody to sell a company stock, that's not going to really help my relationship with the company that I cover, right? And if that and if my relationship with the company that I cover as an analyst is not good, do you think they're going to give me investment banking and underwriting business, which is a huge revenue source for Wall Street firms? Probably not. I don't get a lot of business. I don't make money off retail clients. What are retail clients to Wall Street firm? They're the cannon fodder. If I do underwriting business, right? Uh, so if I have a company that comes to me, Apple, and they say, hey, I want to do a 2 billion share stock offering. Awesome. Who am I going to sell those shares to? They're good shares. I'm going to sell them to my best clients, who are my best clients, who are the most important. Hedge funds, mutual funds, pension, endowments, etc. If it's a crappy offering or some stock I want to get rid of and get off my books, who do I sell it to? Retail clients. Why? Because they're least important to my firm. If they blow up, who cares? Why do you think Wall Street was so anxious to sell IPOs and SPACs to you during the 2021 melt-up? Just saying. This analysis I run on a regular basis, and it just goes to show you kind of what's happening with earnings. What you can see is, is that the black line in this chart, and again, if you're driving, don't worry about it, I'll explain it to you. There's a black line on this chart that is going from the upper left to the lower right. It's a, it's a, it's a virtual 45-degree decline in the number of shares outstanding. And not surprisingly, as I've lowered the number of shares outstanding, I have increased my reported earnings per share by almost $3.52, just simply by lowering the number of shares outstanding. And this is why when you take a look at accounting magic as an example of what I call it, 
think about this for a moment. If earnings come from my sales, right? I sell a dollar's worth of goods. I pay all my cost of business expenses, right? And then I'm left over with what I earned. How is it that earn that sales, what happens at the top line, have only increased by 104% since 2009 and reported earnings and operating earnings have expanded by over 400 uh, to 500% in that same period? How did I generate four times the earnings on only a one-time increase in sales? It's accounting magic. And here's the important part about that. If you take a look at what drives earnings, revenue as a revenue growth is a percent of the total reported earnings per share. Only 25% of that growth came from revenue. The rest of it, 75% was from accounting gimmicks. And when I come back from the break, I'm going to tell you there was a survey by the Wall Street Journal of CFOs. And I'm going to tell you exactly how they manufacture the books to make these earnings per share right after the break. advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com and welcome back to the show this morning so just talking about manufacturing earnings and you know why wall street does the things that they do, they're not working in your best interest. And as is always the case, retail investors are the least important to Wall Street, which is a machine to generate product to sell you stuff for. That's it. Um, and when you understand that, then you have a better way to gauge reports that you read right so you see these reports come out and says oh we're rating this stock a buy because of a b or c just remember that is not in your best interest so read it that way so okay well if you're telling me this what do you what's what's the real message here right it's 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 the unwritten code that every man knows your wife says she's fine She's not. <laughs> if she ever says, sure, do whatever you want to do, don't do that, <laughs> right? It's the same thing with Wall Street. Understand that the message that they're telling you is not the real message. You need to understand what the real message is. And while Wall Street is always hoping for improvement in earnings and you know betting on a big recovery in earnings this year, there's, there's more to the story. Many companies have offset earnings growth 
with cost-cutting measures, and we know that, right? They've done labor hoarding. We've seen, uh, you know, wage suppression in the past. We've seen, um, you know, a whole variety of, of cost-cutting and other, other gimmicks that are done in terms of accounting gimmicks. But there's a finite limit to the, the effectiveness of those things. I can't lay off all my workers, as an example. I can, only, I can only use accounting gimmicks to a point before I get in trouble with the IRS, and most importantly, Wall Street knows this already, and it shouldn't be surprising that companies manipulate their bottom line, bottom line earnings by doing things like cookie-jarring reserves, heavy use of accruals, um, other accounting instruments that they, they can either you know, flatter or depress uh, earnings as needed. And this was an a article, it was a study done by the Wall Street Journal, and they said the tricks are well known. A difficult quarter can be made easier by releasing reserves set aside for a rainy day or recognizing revenue before sales are made, while a good quarter is often time to hide a big restructuring charge that would otherwise stand out like a sore thumb. What is more surprising, though, is CFO's belief that these practices leave a significant mark on companies' reported profits and losses. When asked about the magnitude of the earnings misrepresentation, the study's respondent said it's around 10% of earnings per share. As you can see in this chart, there's a this was this was from the study in the Wall Street Journal, by the way. It's called Cooking the Books. Top five reasons that companies use earnings to misrepresent their financial performance. And this is according to the CFOs. Influence their stock price. Why would I want to influence my stock price? Higher stock prices means that as a CFO, I'm getting stock-based compensation. Higher the stock price, the more valuable that stock-based compensation is. Not real hard to figure out. Outside pressure to hit earnings benchmarks. Well, if I don't get the earnings benchmarks hit, my institutional investors who are invested in my company stock, that stock goes down. Not good for their performance. Not good for their compensation. Wall Street, not good for them. Lots of pressure on companies to meet earnings. Inside pressure to hit earnings benchmarks. Why inside pressure? Well, if I don't, as a CFO, right? I'm the guy, I'm the guy cooking the books. I'm the CFO. Who do you think is pressuring me to make sure we hit those benchmarks? Maybe the CEO? The chairman of the board? The board of directors? Because they want their stock-based compensation to perform? Maybe, maybe an issue. Influence executive compensation, top five reasons, exactly what I just said. Senior managers fear for their career, right? How do you lose your job? Don't hit your earnings. Be truthful in reporting. You miss earnings, you lose your job. Top five ways to spot earnings mismanagement. And these are, these are easy. And you can look at this yourself in earnings reports, you just have to be willing to do the work rather than just taking what Wall Street says or what uh, CNBC says. Microsoft beat earnings today. Take a look at the earnings, right? Look for things like sudden changes in reserves, how earnings don't correlate with cash flows. If, I, if I've got negative cash flow, how do I have positive earnings? Okay. Earnings growth is too consistent. Every quarter, they're just cranking out the same amount of earnings every quarter, regardless of what's going on in the economy. That's how, that's how uh, Bernie Madoff got caught, by the way. Earnings deviate from the company's peers or industry norm. 
large and frequent one-time charges or gains. How often do you see companies come out and go, oh, we're, we're taking a one-time write-off every quarter or every year? They have a big one-time charge. That, 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 those happen with regular occurrences. But so th these are the things to kind of pay attention to as this is occurring. And this is also why I put a link in the, in the article on our website. Um, Charlie Munger once said that EBITDA is BS. And this particularly is the reason why earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization is BS. So don't really use that in your, in your evaluation and fundamental analysis. So, you know, this is the things to pay attention to. We go in a little bit more detail, um, you know, in the article. And, you know, this is one of the things that has been going on. But, you know, as we, as we talk about this whole idea of what's happening with capitalism and why people are so upset, you know, this earnings manipulation is a big part of that. And, in fact, I, I did a chart in that article of the gap of profits to employees. And the this has been occurring over the last 20 years, but importantly, it has completely exaggerated itself since the 2009 financial crisis when really this whole influx of earnings manipulation really took off. But profits per employee used to be good. Right. In other words, the, the ratio between the corporate profits and what earnings employees were making and how many employees were required to make those profits was a good balance. It was even. Today, it is, it is vastly exaggerated. It's taking less and less employees to generate more and more profits. And again, that's because of the advances of technology. AI will make that worse eventually, but it's also because of all this manipulation of earnings practices. If we take a look at the corporate profits to wages, right? How often, you know, what's the wage ratio that we pay out for each dollar of profit? You see the exact same problem. Now, interestingly, this chart has a lot of spikes in it, and those spikes occur during recessionary periods. Why? Because profits fall and you have to pay more in wages, right? So that ratio reverses. We just saw that previously here with this 2020 shutdown in the economy, wages went up, profits fell. Not surprising, that's now reversing. But that's why people complain about capitalism. But that's not capitalism. See, that's cronyism. That's corporatism at work. And as we continue to continue, as we continue to foster this type of financial system, this is this problem is only going to get worse. But this is why we keep changing the accounting rules, right? And this is why we continue to have financial problems. Every time there's a hiccup in the economy, somebody's failing. Because we can manufacture a dollar's worth of earnings by buying back shares and doing all these accounting gimmicks, but that's not real revenue. So when something happens economically and revenue declines, even by the least bit, Companies are in trouble. Banks are in trouble. You know, it's kind of like they say about the household. The average American household is one paycheck away from, from bankruptcy because they're living paycheck to paycheck. Well, for a lot of these companies, a lot of these banks, 
they're basically living paycheck to paycheck because they're spending all of their cash to buy back shares. They're manufacturing their earnings. And they're not, they're not literally on the, the verge of bankruptcy. But the point is, is that as soon as something happens at the top line that they can't manufacture at the bottom, all of a sudden there's big problems. And that's because of this heavy use of accounting gimmicks and schemes that we've been watching over the course of the last you know, 10 years in particular, but actually since the turn of the century, it has really, really gone awry. Since Bill Clinton, this really started in earnest when Bill Clinton tried to limit executive compensation by capping CEO salary at a million dollars. And this is where Wall Street came swooping in and said, don't worry about that, CEOs. We got you covered. We're going to do these stock option co uh, compensation programs completely bypass this million-dollar cap on executive salaries, so you're good. The, the, the dark side of that stock-based compensation is now clear. Because in order to make that stock-based compensation worth something, stock prices have to continually rise. Earnings have to continually go up. And in an economy that's growing at 2%, that ain't happening. So I gotta I gotta manufacture the earnings. All right. Articles on the website. You're gonna read the whole thing. Realinvestmentadvice.com. How to beat earnings estimates, tools used. It's on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. We'll be right back after the break. daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. And welcome back to the show this morning. You know, talking about Stuff that you get off of uh, financial media. You know, it's always interesting that a lot of these financial media channels, whether it's CNBC or, you know, Morningstar or, you know, Market Watch, whatever, they all have these, you know, pieces of, pieces of advice for you. And look, I think they're all good, right? You need to save money. And you need to live below your means. And you need to do the things to build some wealth. And if you're listening to a financial show at 6.48 in the morning, on a Tuesday, you probably have some money invested in the financial markets. That's why you're invested in money or interested in money, I should say. The problem is, is that the vast majority of Americans aren't. But, you know, there's a ton of these articles that come out. Uh, there was an article out this morning on CNBC. To feel comfortable, Americans think they need $233,000 a year salary and nearly $1.3 million for retirement. That's what the experts say. Which experts? The average salary in America runs about sixty-five dollars to $70,000, right? So you're talking about a salary now to, to be comfortable, right? What, what is comfortable? To feel comfortable. I need $233,000 a year in income. 
there's not a lot of jobs that pay that much in salary. And if I have $233,000 a year in salary, the rule of thumb, as portrayed by the, so, by the financial media, is this. According to Fidelity, here's some general retirement savings goals needed for your retirement. Have 10 times your income saved by 67. Okay, so if I'm making $233,000 a year at the age of 67, 10 times that, that's $2.3 million. However, the other study says I only need $1.3 million. So is it 2.3 or is it 1.3? See, it all has to come down with what your lifestyle is, how much you consume. Uh, Danny has said this on the show quite a few times in the past is that the, you know, we have people come in all the time that have $10 million. And they go, can I retire? It's like, no, you can't. Why? Because you're consuming too much money. Your lifestyle exceeds the ability of what your portfolio can generate. So, no, you can't retire. We have people that come in with half a million dollars, plenty of room to retire. Because their lifestyle is very stable and very meager. Right? They, don't, they don't require a lot between their Social Security and between you know, uh, maybe a, a pension or whatever they have. They can retire on half a million dollars. So, see, it's, it's you know, these, all these studies that say, oh, you need this to retire. It has nothing to do with you. You have to determine that. You have to determine what your lifestyle is going to look at retirement. And you have to be realistic about it. Um, I've... I've I've had people I've sat down with in the past and they're spending 10, 12, 15 grand, 20 grand a month on their current lifestyle. They're doing this, they're doing that, they're going here, they're going there. And it's like, oh, don't worry, though, when we retire, we're going to spend $2,500 a month. I've got it all figured out. You are not going from spending 20 grand a month to $2,500 a month and still be married. That's just not going to happen. So you have to be realistic about what your goals are. And all this has to align. And again, what it takes to retire depends on you. You know, don't get wrapped up with, I've got to have some magic number. I've got to have this amount of money. I mean, we all do it, right? I do it. You know, if I can get to this number, I'm going to retire because I'll be able to do this. And I, I probably won't because I enjoy what I do. And I can't imagine just sitting around and not doing anything all day, right? Let me tell you, there ain't crap on television to watch anymore. So, you know, <laughs> they don't make anything good anymore to watch, except for maybe Oppenheimer. But, you know, there's that, those are few and far between. So I can't imagine just sitting around the house all day, and there's only so much golf you can play, and my golf game really sucks, so I can't really imagine doing that. And ammo is getting really expensive, so going to the shooting range is, is getting out there. Uh, you know, so, you know, I've got to start making these decisions. So I'll probably wind up still working just because – I need something to do, right? Keep myself young. But don't get hung up on the number, right? Get hung up. Where you want to get hung up on is the income you can generate. 
And when that income generation is occurring, so let's say that you need realistically, let's say that you currently, and, and how, how do you know realistic what you need to retire? Best rule of thumb is 100% of your salary. People go, oh, it's 80% of your income or it's 70% of your income when you retire. No, use 100% because that's what you're living on now. Yes, things will change as you get into retirement. Yeah, I don't have kids in the house. I won't have to spend as much money. I keep hoping that. And, you know, my kids are out of the house and I have other expenses that come up, right, that take its place. So use 100%. If you want to be comfortable, use 110% of your salary to adjust for inflation and higher health care costs. Do something like that. And so when your other assets are generating that number, then mentally, whether or not you retire is irrelevant, then you can retire mentally. You can say, okay, I'm good. I'm there. I've got this pool of assets that's generating this amount of money. That's what I'm making currently on my salary. I could lose my salary today and be completely fine. Now you can retire. And it doesn't matter what that number is. It doesn't matter whether that number is $5 million in the bank or a million dollars in the bank or $500,000 in the bank. If it's, if it's working for you, and look, it's easier today than it was two years ago because now I get 4 5% on fixed income. That's a whole lot easier than it was a couple of years ago when bonds were paying half a percent. Now I don't take a lot of risk. But this is, so that's the way to think about this. So, so you know, again, look, these articles are there to get attention, to get headlines. And, and look, and as we talked about on the show before, be wary of the news. As, as Brent and I have been talking about before, Brent's been in the media business for, I mean, he started the first AM radio with Methuselah back in whenever that was around. Um, but, you know, it'll tell you if it bleeds, it leads. That's what that's what's out there. And so that's why all you hear on television is just bad news all the time. Right. It's somebody arguing about somebody else or somebody doing this or somebody did this or did that. If it bleeds, it leads. Turn that nonsense off. It's messing you up. The world sucks, right? There is nothing good going on outside your front door in the world right now. So you don't need, why, why, why even pay attention to it? Because all it's going to do is get you off of what your focus is, which is your family, your job, and saving money. Focus on that because that's all that matters. And then when you then and turn off all these, you know, these, these other pieces of analysis that tell you, oh, here's the magic number. There is no magic number. There is no magic number. It's a function of what you need and what you can generate out of the markets. And you have to be realistic about that, too. The markets do not return an average of 8% a year. You just went out of a year where you lost 20%. They, you, do, you do not get 8% every year in the market, so you have to adjust for that in your analysis. You have to adjust for interest rates. You've got to adjust for inflation. You have to think about all these different things and then build that in to your plan. This whole idea is that I can just throw a million bucks in the bank and generate $200,000 a year on is just not realistic. That's not going to happen. You remember just a couple of years ago, we were here, I was writing articles on our website talking about the FIRE movement, right? Financially independent, retire early. That was everywhere. All these people were quitting their jobs with $250,000 and they were going to go travel the world in a minivan. When was the last time you heard about that? <laughs> yeah, 20% down market will take care of that real quick. And when you lose 70, 80, 90% in the stocks that you were invested in, 
takes care of that real real quick. You go from fire, financially independent, retire early, to financially independent, live back home with your parents. So turn that nonsense off. Focus on what's important. Family, health, saving. Do your job. Let the markets do the work for you by investing wisely, right? Don't worry about I had an email yesterday from a guy that says, I just want to benchmark uh, market returns. Okay, fine. Go buy an index. So you don't need me to do that. Just go buy an index. Well, I'm actually really conservative. Okay, what are you? Do you want benchmark returns or are you really conservative? Those are two different things. You cannot be conservative and protect your portfolio and protect your money and generate income and track benchmark returns. Cannot do that. That is the difference between an F1 Formula race car and a Volkswagen. <laughs> and if you're not qualified to drive an F1 Formula car, I would, I would encourage you not to do that. People die all the time doing that. Drive a Volvo. It ain't pretty, but it'll get you there safely. Just some things to think about. All right, getting ready to wrap up the show for the day. All right, uh, get by the website. Latest article is out on the website. Also, we did this weekend the Economic Summit. We'll have that up on our website. When do you think, Brent? Maybe later this week? This week. So we'll have the podcast. If you missed our economic kind of mid, mid-year mid review of the markets, I was really cranky. I'd had no coffee. Rich got me up way too early on Saturday, so it's pretty aggressive but we do a mid-year review. Uh, that'll be on our website later this week. Um, Brent will get that up for you as well, but that'll be on the website, realinvestmentadvice.com, also on our YouTube channel right here. Uh, so make sure you're subscribed. Uh, Before the Bell is uh, will be out here shortly. And of course, our daily market commentary on the website. Lots of stuff for you to keep up with the markets on. You just got to go subscribe and read. That's it. Hey, have a great day. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Danny Ratliff joining me in the morning for a bit of financial planning talk. And what's happening in that part in that in that phase of your financial realm. That'll be tomorrow here on the show. Realinvestmentadvice.com is the website. See you back here tomorrow. Have a great day.